Hello everyone and welcome. My name is Adana Sue and you are listening to What Dreams Are Made Of, a podcast series designed to help you connect to your dreams in the world that we live in today. In today's episode, I am joined by the wonderful Susan Long, who is considered the queen of social dreaming. Susan is versed in Freudian psychology, but is more commonly associated with the works of social dreaming. She's a director of research and scholarship at the National Institute of Organisation Dynamics Australia, or NIODA. That's a mouthful. (laughs) Susan is the co-author of a beautiful book, Social Dreaming, Connection Between Dreams. We talk all about that in today's episode. In this interview, we break down the definitions of social dreaming, what it entails and how it works, and how its course was heavily disrupted by the pandemic. I've learnt so much from Susan and I'm really excited to be able to share this conversation with you all. Without any further ado, let's get into the interview. Okay, well, welcome, Susan. Welcome to the show. I'm really excited that, you know, we get to speak today. Delighted. Delighted to come. Yay. So I think we should just dive straight in, if that's okay with you. Sure. Beautiful. So one of the questions I've been asking as kind of a recurring question in all of my interviews is, what are dreams and why are we having them? Ah, That's (laughs) a big question. I come from a psychoanalytic perspective. Mm. And I've written on the journey of the dream from its inception right through to it being told and perhaps being used. A dream for some people, some clinicians and analysts, is a way of you working through the issues that you have in your life and coming up with possible answers from them. So the dream sort of starts as a kind of an idea in your mind. Mm. and. It's usually visual, sometimes verbal, uh, sometimes even other uh, perceptual sensations, but usually a sort of a visual dream. And then there are what psychoanalysts call, I guess, blocks or repressions or things that change the dream a bit so that it's acceptable to Mm. your waking mind. And that happens all along the way. It happens as you dream it. It happens when you recall it. You recall the bits that are a bit different mm. than what was actually happening. And then when you tell it to somebody, there's even more changes to the dream. And then when it's told and used in what I call a social dreaming matrix, it gets slightly changed again. So a dream's something that isn't static It's not like a photo or something like that. It's evolving and changing the whole time. Once it's told to people, they might use it in whatever way they want to use it. Somebody may help you with your problems with the dream by analysing it, or it might be used to think about what's going on in the society around you, or it might be used to think about how you might anticipate the future. I don't mean the sort of airy-fairy stuff of, you know, dreams predicting things very specific. But human beings are what we call anticipatory. 
Mm. We anticipate things all the time. You even anticipate your foot falling on the ground so you don't fall over. Not consciously, but it happens. And then you anticipate what you're going to do today, what you're going to do tomorrow, the Mm. next year. Dreams can sometimes work in that anticipatory way. So that's a complex answer to what's a dream. (laughs) (laughs) It's really interesting. It's really great. It's, It's something that's happening in your mind mm. at an unconscious level but you see it you, you have it, it becomes available to you at night some of the analysts one particular person that I follow a lot called Wilfred Bion he I don't know if you've come across him before in any of that I haven't no <laughs> he says we're dreaming all the time it's just when we're awake and we're conscious mm. it falls into the background when we're asleep, there is a certain part of our sleeping time, usually the REM part of sleep, where they become available to you. Mm. But it's going on all the time in the background. You and I are dreaming now as well as wow. talking consciously in our unconscious minds. Yeah. That's incredible. Wow. And you just briefly mentioned your your social dreaming and your and your matrix. Do you want to talk into kind of what that means a little bit more? A social dreaming matrix, we call it a matrix rather than a group. Mm. That's a distinction that's made. But it's it's people that come together to share their dreams and to try and make sense of them for their society or their group. What we're trying to make sense of is usually called the container for the matrix. I might do run a matrix in an organisation, for example, or a company, mm. and they they want to think about their company. They want to think about how it's running, its markets, its business and so on. And so that's the container. So the dreams are understood in terms of that context. Mm. Or you might have a social dreaming matrix just amongst a group of people. So that's the container or the context in which the dreams are held. Now, in a matrix, when we've run them online since COVID, Mm. but before that, the seats would be put in a format which was called a snowflake format. It's not a circle like a group. You're not staring at somebody else. You're sitting in a space where you can go into your own reflection and the snowflake shape as people sitting so they can hear each other, but you're in your own self-reflective space. You might close your eyes. You might muse as you tell your dream and Mm. as you listen to others. So the matrix itself, when it's going well, sort of becomes almost a dreamlike setting. People start to tell their dreams and others, and the whole purpose is to tell the dreams and then for others to make associations to them. Mm. And that's an important part, and connections. So you start seeing how one dream connects to another dream and how people make associations. They might say, oh, that makes me think of a film I saw or that makes me think of a painting I saw. It's just a free associative thing. Mm. And all the associations and the dreams start to bring forward a picture of our current society. And then after the matrix, we do what's called a dream reflection dialogue, which is just a group. We talk to each other about what did that mean? What was what did it feel like? What was the 
what the sense of things coming out. Wow. So that was all done. And a lot of it started from a good friend and colleague of mine, Gordon Lawrence. Gordon sort of developed this process and it's now used worldwide. And he he developed it out of a few things, but one of them was a book by a woman called Charlotte Barat, B-R-A-D-T, if you want to look at it, because she wrote a book called The Third Reich of Dreams. Now, she was an analyst in Germany during the Nazi time, Mm. and she had her patients tell their dreams, and she found that the dreams of her patients were reflecting the fears and anxieties of the whole culture during Nazi occupation, which was quite fascinating. People were dreaming, obviously, about what was going on, their fears, their anxieties, and it's it's a different picture of that time in history. Well, we've started to run, we did over the last couple of years, ran matrices online, which were looking at the pandemic. You know, what are the dreams that people are having during the pandemic? And that became the container, as I said before. The belief is that once told, the dream doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to the matrix. And it belongs to everybody as a community. We say that the dreamer in the matrix is dreaming for us all. So if you don't have a dream, you can still come to the matrix. It's all right. It's all right because others are dreaming for you. And you can still make associations and make sense of them. That's so powerful. That is it is incredible. It's it's human connection. It's even, you know, when we're put through a challenge like lockdowns and travel restrictions and, you know, still being able to kind of deliver this service is just, it's probably just what people need in such an uncertain time to have, you know, insight into their, you know, what's happening around them, how people are feeling. It's it's really amazing. What's lovely about the matrix is that nobody feels judged. You know, you can tell your dream and and nobody says, ah, that means you're having this problem or ah, that means this about you. You're, you know, you might have a dream that you murder somebody. doesn't mean you're a murderer or hateful or anything like that. Mm. It belongs to the matrix and it's part of what's going on. And what does that mean? It might be that somebody's killing off ideas. If the matrix runs several sessions and people get to know each other, I'm part of one internationally that just runs every month. Mm. You get trusting of everybody and you just tell your dreams as they are. You know, some dreams might be aggressive, frightening. Some dreams might be sexual and a bit embarrassing (laughs) or might be something about, you know, wetting yourself. (laughs) You don't like to say that, but it's all right because the dream is not about you. It's not about you and your problems. It's about what sense we make of it Mm. in society. I know there was one matrix that I was in that was quite amazing because the people got to know each other so well that somebody described a dream walking through this house and they described the rooms and somebody said, hey, that's my house you're dreaming and you've never been there. Wow. I don't know how that worked. I don't know if it was... Coincidence or chance that seems... No such thing. <laughs> it all happens for a reason. That's right. It seemed it seemed really quite strange. 
Mm. You know, when you get a good matrix, that happens. And what I didn't mention was that there are people who run the matrix who are called hosts, and they simply just hold the boundaries, give some ideas about what they think is happening and that sort of thing. So I'm running a program at the moment which is training training people to be hosts. Amazing. So is, is that what you are in the matrix? Are you a host? Some matrices I like to just be a member Yeah. and bring my dreams and work yeah. with them. But others, I'm a host, yes. Mm. So maybe you'd want to join one one time. That would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, what it's like. I'd like to do one actually for young people um, oh. like yourself. I yeah. think it would be interesting because a lot of the people are oldies like me or <laughs> middle-aged or whatever. But yeah. um, I think it would be fascinating to do it with young people. I think it would be too. I think I could recruit enough people. <laughs> we could start our yeah. own matrix. We could. We could, yes. In the Steiner we community, could. in the, you know, the wider world, I think it would be it would be amazing. Would you say that within the matrix, is that influenced by things? Are you influenced by influential trailblazers like Sigmund Freud and you know Carl Jung? Oh well, of course they started. The unconscious was thought about long before Freud. He didn't discover it. He simply found ways to access it. Let's put it that way: better ways to access it. But it was an idea that was in the air in the nineteenth century. And, of course, that idea of the unconscious is in social dreaming. But Freud kind of hijacked the unconscious and made it into the personal unconscious. That's a bit unfair to be that extreme because he also had some of the ideas of more collective stuff. But people that have taken Freudian stuff look at the unconscious as if it's something in your head, which it isn't. What we've developed more lately is this idea called the associative unconscious. It's a bit different from Jung's collective unconscious, but there's some similarity. And we see the unconscious as sort of a network between and among people. So it's something that people themselves dip in and out of. I don't know if you study biology at all. A little bit. Do you know what the mycelium is? Only in the form of fungi and mushrooms. Yes, yes. Mushrooms grow out of this organism that's called the mycelium. Mm. The mushrooms are just the flowers. They're not flowers, but something like that. And the mycelium used to cover great swaths of the earth before humans started cutting it all up. It's a metaphor for what we see as the associative unconscious. It's a network of symbols and signs and ideas. And you think of your own mind as being one of those mushrooms popping up from this big unconscious that we share amongst people. I think Mm. as a Steiner person, you'll probably understand a lot of that. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good way to put it. That's a very good way to put it. (laughs) So we believe that social dreaming is tapping into the associative unconscious and bringing ideas forward it's as if every idea every symbol every sign is in the past in the present or even potential could be Mm. in the associative unconscious of a society and so there are different methods to dip into this but social dreaming is one of them 
That's the general thinking. Not all people in psychoanalysis would agree with me, but that's a theory that has been developed recently. So in that, we kind of talked a little bit about dream interpretation and how within the matrices you don't like it to become too personal or too... It doesn't interpret the person or their personal thinking. That's it, yeah. Or their personal unconscious. We prefer to use associations and interpretations because that goes through the network, Mm. all the associations. But in the dream reflection dialogue afterwards, there is some interpreting. We try to make sense. What does this mean for society? But we're interpreting at the level of the social. And that's a very well accepted notion, the social unconscious. It says that there's something that we share that's unconscious. And not only how do we share it, it gets built into our institutions. Like the way we think gets built into social institutions, the institutions of the family, the institution of the law, the institution of medicine, Mm. all these various big institutions, ways of thinking. And so things change too and grow and change. Mm. Are you seeing patterns emerging within this network of, you know, uh, collective dreaming? Are you seeing things shifting? Certainly. During COVID, anxiety dreams are very high Mm. and thinking certainly dreams about isolation Mm. and feeling lost, things entering bodies, Mm -hmm. like either the injections or the virus. Yeah. And and what we came to afterwards think about is, not so much just the nature of the dream, but what it brought to people and how they started then to think about think about what they would do to break down some of the isolation and so on. We did one in China during the big Shanghai lockdown. Wow. And um, people were really suffering then, sort of anxiety and depression dreams and things like that. Collectively, we didn't do very much, but I started to get right at the beginning I talked about the anticipatory nature Mm. and I started to look at what dreams are anticipating for people so that for example I'll give one example because I've published this one I was working with a group in a hospital a group of medical people and nurses and and they're having real trouble that was why I was working with them their teamwork wasn't going well there was discord in the team. Mm. And so I did some dreaming with them amongst other things and they dreamed, oh, there was one dream that was of a whole, you know how birds all fly together mm. and then one bird turned around and was, was flying in the opposite direction and, and there was real trouble in the flock with mm. this one bird. And then there was another dream of a woman who was half woman and half something else and a real ogre. After these dreams, they started to talk about how they felt about their team leader. And, yes, she wasn't an ogre, (laughs) but there was some anxiety about the way she was working and people couldn't really tell her about it because they were afraid that 
she would take it personally and feel bad. And they interpreted the bird flying the wrong way, that she was flying one way and the team were going this way. Anyway, after being able to talk about these dreams, they were able to talk about it with the team leader and she was able to see, listen to their issues and they were able to work better. So that was kind of, that's how it works in an organisation. It's not like you get a little dream book and if you dream of this, it means this, and if you dream of this, it means yeah. that. That's, that's nonsense. But it's about bringing forward the dreams that are representing something very real in people's lives. And if they can start talking about it and what it means, then they, then they can start talking about their issues together, which they couldn't do without the dream, you know, because when they sat down and said, what does this mean about the birds flying one way and the one bird flying another and somebody said, oh, it makes me think that there's always one person in the team going the wrong way and why? Yeah. Why are we going? Why is there always one? Not the same. And what is it that we can't say and talk to our team leader about? And then they talked about it. Was quite, it's quite difficult because people, it sounds simple, but people get quite, you know, if you're having trouble, in a group, it's often personalised. Oh, she's a bad team leader, or mm. but she wasn't. She wasn't. It was just that they couldn't talk because of the anxieties about it. Mm. Mm. It's an incredible insight to have into that, you know, that dream, and to be able to, yeah, repair a whole group dynamic, and like you said, get to the root root cause yeah. of the problem, and. You know, yeah. Well, people have to talk together to do that. Yeah, communication and connection, and I think that that's that's where people get a bit lost in dream work is looking into dream dictionaries. And my first experience with interpreting my own dreams was looking at dream dictionaries online, and I thought, wow, I'm so magic. You know, I'm interpre- <laughs> interpreting my own dreams. It's it's so special. And now I'm here, and I'm like, what was I doing? <laughs> <laughs> doing it all wrong but to see it in a group like dynamic and you know in your social dreaming situations I think that that is so unique and so special um and I've um I've heard that you've also co-edited a book with Julian Manley um social dreaming and that looks incredible do you want to tell us a bit more about that process and was it a couple of years ago now just felt that there needed to be some more written about it. And so we just approached a lot of people from the field who are doing the work. They wrote about their social dreaming. I I wrote a chapter in there at the beginning, something about what I was telling you, the way the dream moves from its inception right through. And Julian wrote something too. There are people who work in social dreaming, therapists or consultants, but artists, a lot of artists do to inform their artwork. So we just collected people's stories. It sounds cool. Put them in the book, yeah. yeah. Great. I um I read a little bit about your book and in you know the the abstract. Yes. One yeah. of the one of the descriptions was the relationship between dreaming and being a human being. And I thought I pondered on that for a long time and I thought, who better to ask than you? 
you know, what is what, <laughs> what is it? Yeah, what is the relationship <laughs> between the two? It's fascinating. Uh, well, I think you know, humans, we have a mind, but it's not like. I don't, I think Descartes did the wrong thing, split the body and mind, because I think we're all, body and mind all work together. I'm not religious, but I'm what you might call a gayerist, I believe, in the world as a living organism, mm. and um, we're, we're just part of that. And I, th- I think dreaming is part of being being human. Mind you, I think animals dream too, but it's hard to understand that because they can't talk to us, not in a language that we could understand anyway. But I, you know, I don't think it's just a random brain thing, you know. It's it's telling a story. And that's what being human is, really, telling stories. I think we love stories. You know, we watch films and videos and <laughs> read books and you know tell stories around the campfire and all of that. It's it's so human. And our stories are about our culture and about our society and our dreams are the stories too. And one way, one thing I do like, there's one analyst who says, you know, don't interpret your dreams through these books and things, but what you do is look at your dream as if it's a, a production. You are creatively at night producing something now think of the dream you tend we tend to think of the dream in terms of I was doing this and then I was doing that and then it changed then I became a lion or whatever that's from the perspective of the actor so look at it then look at the dream and say well who's the script writer what did the script writer do what kind of script was written who was the lighting expert in this dream how did the light come where were the colours or not? Where was the uh, director? Who was directing these actors? And so if you look at your dream, take a dream and ask it from all these different perspectives, the producer, the director, the lighting, the scriptwriter, the actors, the audience, you start to get a much bigger picture of what your dream is like. And I think that one of the script writers, one of the producers and one of the lighting experts is the context that you're in. So your dream may be being written by the Steiner system at the moment. If you're yeah. In. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's as if the system that you're in calls forward a dream. Would you? I'd agree. Is as if your society, your school, your family, your friends say, okay, we want you to dream this tonight. Mm. Imagine it that way. It turns things around, turns them on their head. But it's an interesting different perspective that you are called to produce a dream for, for your context. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Do you think as people actively seeking this understanding and, you know, not so much interpretation but further kind of connection with our dreams, do you think that that is beneficial in today's society? Oh, yes, Mm. yes. We should listen. We should listen to our dreams far more 
take time, relax, stop busy, busy, busying and give time to reflect and to let the dream emerge. Mm. Many dreams are quite scary. Some dreams are lovely, you know, for Freudians, the dreams are wish fulfilment. But sometimes it's that, sometimes it's more prophetic, sometimes it's reflecting on what's going on around you. And I, I think it's a bit like meditation. If you can sit and meditate, you can learn something. If you keep a dream diary, you find that you remember your dreams far more. Just as soon as you wake up in the morning, just write the dream out and you start remembering more and more dreams and you find what they are. And it's it's not a daydream. It's not a kind of, oh, I wish this was happening and I'm dreaming that I'm rich or I'm dreaming that I've got this or that or the other. It's what's really coming from the unconscious mm. that sometimes we can't bear to look at, but we need to stop and look at it. Mm. Agreed. So I think it's very human. Absolutely. And, you know, as we were saying before, how your dreams and this whole, you know, dreaming process is influenced by, you know, your institution, your system. And I am in the Steiner system and I am a year 12 student at the moment and I'm incredibly stressed. Um, and for me, the stress and anxiety has been a total dream killer. I've always been a very vivid dreamer. And as soon as I, you know, experience stress and anxiety, my dreams just go and I can't remember yeah. a symbol, a feeling. I can't remember anything. So I was just wondering if you had any kind of a pearl of wisdom for me to take on. <laughs> I'd say even, even if you get a scrap, we have lots of, a lot of dreams aren't, as I said right at the beginning, you know, we turn them into something as if it's a something, mm. but it's an, an ongoing emergent. But if you have a scrap, even a scrap of a dream, just write it down. Write it in a book, mm. in a journal, and you'll find that your dreams start to come back. It'll be gradual, slow process, but even the slightest little skimpy bit, you know, sometimes you have a dream just as you're waking up almost, and just write it down and ponder over it and it might tell you how to work with some of your anxieties about year 12 very stressful time I know <laughs> indeed <really> indeed <laughs> but write write things down keep a journal mm. and then it doesn't have to go round and round in your head yeah I like that thank you <laughs> it's great or even do a drawing yeah we do dream drawings, so we draw our dream or draw each other's dreams. It's quite Steiner. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Surprised there's not a main lesson on, on dream drawing. I'd be really interested. <laughs> yes, it is. <coughs> One of my friends, excuse me, in she now lives in Germany. She did a PhD on dream, dream drawing. Wow. Doctorate on that. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. So, Susan, where can people find you if they listen and they think, "Wow, I want to learn more"? Where can <laughs> where can they go? Nyoda. Nyoda. N i o d a. National Institute 
organization dynamics australia beautiful and i'll yeah. i'll link that in the show notes so people or, can click or also social dreaming international network sdin websites for both beautiful okay so thank you so much for coming today and spending time with me and sharing such amazing knowledge and you know such a depth of amazingness yeah thank you (laughs) it's social dreaming isn't my main work but it's one of my sort of streams it's primary of interest it's been it's been really great and really interesting and I've feel really lucky to have your perspective on the on the podcast so thank you Susan love to see you again yeah And that's a wrap. That's the end. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Susan for coming on and spending time with me. And thank you also to Tamsin, Susan's daughter, who actually reached out to me and encouraged me to go for this interview with her mum, which ended up being really cool. So thank you so much. Thanks, guys. And I will see you in the next one. Bye.